0: Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we're in 1 through 17. We started this message four weeks ago, and I intended to finish it the next week. And then uh, the mission trip to Mexico happened, and I felt led to preach something different when I came back. And then COVID happened, and I missed a week. And then uh, a guest preacher happened uh, for Dedication Sunday, and so I missed that week. And so we're finally to get back into Colossians 3, 1 through 17, the focus Christian life. Uh, I'll review the first two verses. I think, I think last time we covered pretty much the first two verses of the chapter and uh, spent all of our time there. So I'm going to review those, but it's not my intention to re-preach the original sermon. Okay? Uh, so we're just going to kind of touch on it and then get back into the rest of what we're looking at this morning. In chapter 2 was Paul's argument against mere outward religion. His plea for them was to find in Christ their supreme righteousness. Right? They were worshiping angels, they were trying to keep Jewish laws, they were resorting to aesthetic religion and and piousness and abusing the body and all these things, and Paul wants them to find their supreme righteousness in Christ. There is still a need today, church, to make sure we find Christ as our supreme righteousness, because we live in the midst of a church culture that Christ is not enough, right? Right? It's feelings, it's emotion, it's response, it's numbers, it's, it's pray a prayer, it's sign a card, it's, you know, the the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, measures their, their success in numbers of baptisms, right? And so they, 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 they have motivation to lie or to baptize anybody because they want to get their baptism numbers up, right? That's the church culture we live in. People find their righteousness in, well, I've been baptized, Or will I go to church? Or will I pray the prayer? Listen, that's not where we find our righteousness. Uh, When people used to ask me in the day, uh, how do you know you're saved? I know I'm saved because I prayed to receive Christ. No. And I may have prayed when I received Christ or not prayed when I received Christ. But the reason I know I'm born again is because Christ died for my sins. He has called me by his grace. He has made me a new person. I can see the fruits of the spirit. I can see the changed life and the changed heart that is evidence. I'm not not consciously trying to mold myself to a religion, but rather the changes that have taken place in me have taken place from the inside out. So Christ is my righteousness. That's it. When you stand before God, and if he were to ask you, I don't think he's going to, but if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Your only plea should be Christ. That's it. That's it. I I, I can be here because Christ said I could be here. Because he died for me. And Paul wants them to find, because these are false teachers, right? That are coming up in the church of Colossae. They're leading people into Gnosticism and asceticism and into Jewish law keeping and to worship of angels. And he's trying to tell the church, make sure you find Christ as your supreme righteousness. Because if you don't, you'll be led astray into all these religious actions that look really good. They look really good. They'll, they'll, They'll make you feel holy. They'll make you feel righteous. Make sure you're you're anchored to Christ, or you'll drift along on the sea of, well, maybe this, or maybe this, or we'll try this. In chapter 2 was Paul's argument against mere outward religion. His plea for them was to find Christ as supreme. Uh, We don't become pleasing to God by what we do, church. Understand that. We don't. Now listen, you please God when you obey him. That's true. But you're not made pleasing to God by what you do. You're made pleasing to God because Christ is pleasing to God. You, if you're saved, are in Christ. Therefore, you are just as righteous to God the Father as Christ is. And he treats you and me like he treats Christ. You know why? Because on the cross, he treated Christ like he was you and me. Like he was a sinner. We are made pleasing to God because the righteousness of his son is imputed to us. That's why. Not the outward stuff. Not within us because of who Christ is and what he has done. God the Father is pleased with the Son, therefore he is pleased with us. Our actions flow from a new inner nature that God has given us. Understand that. Only you can tell this. Are you doing what you're doing today because you're trying to look Christian or fit into a church culture? Or does it flow from your inner man? That's the question. Are you here because that's what Christians do on Sunday are you? Do you go to church because your friends are in church? Or do you go to church and worship because Christ compels you from the inner man? I need to worship Christ. I want to be among God's people. I want to fellowship. Is it flow from the inner man when you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible because it's a duty you have to do? I should read my Bible. I haven't read it for a while. I need. Mean, this is what Christians do. Or do you feel compelled from the inner man to get into the Word of God and to, and to know God? Do you pray because you have to? Well, it's, it's part of my devotions. I check it out. It's my morning routine. Or are you compelled to pray? Are you the way you are because Christ has changed who you are? Or are you who you are because you're trying to fit in? That's a question only you and I can answer for ourselves. And Paul is saying, don't don't do it to fit in. Don't do it because it's the culture. Do it because Christ in you compels you to do it. All of these religious rules are given to keep people from sin, but they have it all wrong. We don't win the fight against sin by outward restrictions. We win it by inward power and change from the Holy Spirit. That's how it's done. This raises the question How do we live holy lives in a religion that doesn't value external rules and compliance? That's what Paul is going to deal with now in chapter 3. He's made the case in chapter 1 of the deity of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ. In chapter 2, he made the case of, uh, of Christ as our supreme righteousness, not outward religion. There's, there's no rules to Christianity. Say, Pastor, you saying there's no rules? There's no rules to Christianity. It really isn't. There's no set of rules. There's the law of God that we abide by. That's not the same thing as an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. That's the holy law of God reflecting the holy nature of God. Yes. Right? And we have no problem keeping the law of God today because we are part of Christ. And Christ keeps perfectly the law of God. See, I don't keep it perfectly. Well, I don't either. Because I haven't reached that perfection yet, but we're going to one day. Right now we have a taste of what we're going to have in eternity. Amen? So Paul argues in chapter 2, ceremonial laws, diets, new moons, feast days, worship of angels, secret knowledge, none of that will help you overcome sin. It has to flow from the inner man. So let's get into our text in chapter 3. The focus of this chapter is practical application of truths taught earlier. This is always Paul's method of teaching. You understand how Paul writes, understand this. Paul gives you heavy theology and then tells you how to apply it. That's how he does his writings. Uh, Romans chapter 1 through 11, right? Heavy theology. 12 through 16. Now, in light of what I just told you, here's how you live your life. Here's how you apply it. Uh, We see it in, let's see here, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Ephesians 1 through 3. Heavy theology, followed by 4 through 6 of practical application. We see it here in Colossians 1 and 2. Heavy theology, 3 and 4, practical application. So you hear the people say, I don't need to know theology. I just want to love Jesus. You can't love Jesus apart from theology because theology is knowing God. You can't not know God and then love Jesus. Right? I don't want to know my wife, I just want to love her. That's that's that that's that's insane, right? Why do you love your spouse? Because you know them, you got to know them, as you got to know them, you got to love them. That's why. Our love for Christ, Church, will be directly proportionate to the amount that we know God. Don't spend time in his word, and your Christian life will fail or at least stagnate in ankle-deep water. You've got to know Christ. To know Christ is to love Christ. We cannot love Christ as we ought to apart from knowing him. You can't separate the two. So Paul begins with a statement of self-reflection. I know we covered verses 1 and 2 a couple weeks ago, but I want to quickly refresh our minds. Chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. So if we're saved, we are united in Jesus Christ. I mentioned this, mentioned this a few weeks ago. His death becomes our death. His resurrection life becomes our new spiritual life. If you have died to sin and been raised, or in other words, if you're saved. That's what he's saying here. If ye then be risen with Christ, or if you're saved, now what? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. If you're saved, Paul says. So Paul's talking to a church with a lot of people who may not be saved. Because remember, these false teachers are coming in and they're drawing people away from the church. So Paul writes this letter to this church. He says, if you're saved, if you're saved, seek those things which are above. If you're saved. I was a Sunday school teacher one time kind of church and a uh, so, uh, I don't remember the age group. So a girl in the church, in the class, she was like seven or eight. Claimed to have gotten saved. Been baptized. And I began to hold her to a very high standard in the class. What are you goofing off for? You claim to be saved. Someone told me, that's kind of mean. You should do that to a little kid. No, no, no. No, no, no. If they're saved, they're still going to bear fruit. But stop pretending kids don't bear fruit. Let's stop pretending the Christian life has no power over them until they're older. No, no, no. If a child claims to be a Christian, they have the Holy Spirit, the same as I do. Amen. Therefore, they should be overcoming sin, right? So Paul's saying here. If you're saved, if you're truly saved, you're going to seek those things. See, they were seeking secret knowledge. Paul says, if you're saved, you're not going to seek after Gnostic knowledge. You're going to seek... The things which are above. They were seeking after holiness in the law. He says, if you're saved, you're going to seek that which is above. Church, if you're saved, you're going to seek after Christ. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, I believe in following up. I believe in visiting people. I believe in reaching out to people. But there comes a certain point where I'm not going to chase people around and force them to be Christians. I'm not going to spend my entire ministry... Forcing unbelievers to love Jesus. If they're saved, at some point, they're going to be faithful. They're going to love Christ. I should encourage that. Yes. But there comes a point where we need to tell people if you're truly saved, you need to be seeking Christ, or you're not truly saved. Stop claiming Christ and living for the world. Stop claiming Christ and living for this this phony Christianity, this feel-good, seeker-sensitive Christianity. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Every saved person will do this. Are you saved? Then seek Christ. Why are we wasting our time with this world when there are the riches of Christ to discover? I've discovered the depths of sin in myself. But I've yet to discover the riches that are in Christ available to me in this life. So Paul says, if you're saved, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, Paul is not just going to give them instructions, but he explains the how-to. Right? How do we seek those things which are above? Look at verse two. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So if you're saved, you will seek those things that are above. All right, Paul. How do I do that practically? Well, easy. Set your love there. Set your affection there. What you love, you give time to. You understand that? What you devote your time to is what you love the most. I've known men who have hobbies out in the garage and they spend hours of their hobbies. And they say, well, I love my family. Really? You spend an hour with them every day. You set your love on what you love and you begin to seek after those things. So I knew a guy that built boats in his, in his garage as a hobby, big, giant boats. Hours and hours a day after work. He spent maybe an hour with his family. He didn't love his family, he loved his boats. And he spent, he set his affections there and he began to seek their care, their perfection, not his family. I can't claim to love my family and then not want to be with my family. Set your love on Christ and your heart will seek after Christ. Those of you who are married, remember that early days of your relationship, right? You set your affection on somebody. What what, what happened? You begin to seek their happiness, their good, their company, their smile. The same thing goes with Christ. If we love Christ, we'll seek Christ's glory, we'll seek his praise and honor, we'll want to see him lifted up and extolled and exonerated and, and beautiful to the world because we love Christ. If we just hear a sermon and sing some songs and go home and then just go through the motions of life, we don't love Christ. We're part of a social club on Sunday that has an interest in Christ. We have the same interests, but we're not in love with Christ. We're not devoted to Christ. You realize that people in 1978, I understand. I'm, going, I'm dipping into the Jim Jones well if you're too young you may not know Jim Jones but the massacre at Diana he killed a lot of those people but they went through drills before the actual night of the mass murder they went through drills where they didn't know if the, if the drink was poisoned or not and in those drills they drank it willingly They laid down their lives for a maniac because they loved that maniac. And yet Christians today can't lay down our lives for the beautiful Christ. Think about that. People lay down their lives for a madman. And Christ is a, a little sidebar to our life. A little pin we wear. A little thing we do on the side. He doesn't really affect our lives. We don't make our decisions in light of his word or seek his advice on, you know, where we live or what we drive or what job we have. or We don't, we don't really think about him much throughout the week unless we're having our little devotion time. That's the Christian life today. If we set our love on Christ, we're going to seek Christ. We're going to lay down our lives for Christ. Do you know why? I'm not trying to be mean. I want you guys to understand that. You guys know me. I'm not trying to be mean. Do you know why I have to emphasize total surrender so much? Not just you, because us as a church, we don't love Christ like we ought to. If we did, we wouldn't have to talk about it as much. We would just surrender our lives. I fail here too. I don't love Christ as I ought to love Christ. So I have to keep preaching this to myself too. Lay down your life. Surrender your life. All to Christ. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If you're saved, seek heaven. How? By setting your love, your devotion there instead of here. Boy, we saw that last night, didn't we, in the movie? Those who were there, boy. They set their affection, their love was in heaven. Not in this world. Not in this world. Why would we do this? Look at verse 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Dead men take no pleasure. Understand that. Dead men take no pleasure. We're dead to the world, but alive to Christ. I mentioned before, I've worked in a morgue. And there was times when I was in there, if I had a lot of stuff to do, and I was be there for 20, 30 minutes, I'd play music, because they had a radio in there. And I listened to some really great songs. I'm a fan of 80s music. I grew up in the 80s. I love the old, I love the old station. And never once did I hear a voice from inside the freezer go, what a great song. They took no pleasure in this world. They may have at one time liked that song, but at this moment, they're dead. They took no pleasure in anything outside Of that freezer. If we are dead to sin, Christian, we should take no pleasure in the sins of this world. It shouldn't entice us the littlest bit because we're dead. And our lives that we live now, they're hidden with Christ in God. In other words, they're hidden in Christ. We're living his resurrected life. If we are alive to Christ, we should find our pleasure there where he is at. He is, you know, I, I, I've never really been away from my family until Super Bowl outreach in Tampa. I went for 10 days. When I say never, I mean, I, I don't think since 2013, I'm not sure my wife and I had ever, had ever spent more than a night maybe away from each other. Since the kids came, I had never spent a night away. I went for 10 days. Boy, I missed them. And you know what? I had a lot of friends. We had a hundred people there. I had a lot of friends, a lot of conversations, and I never got into the. Con- I never. I didn't have a good time. I enjoyed the preaching and the outreach, but those downtimes weren't fun because I was thinking about them and how much I missed them. I couldn't take part in. I mean, I, I had conversation. I laughed. We joked. But it was never as sweet as it had been the times that she had been there with me. If our love is set on Christ, this world shouldn't it shouldn't have the flavor it used to have. Right? Because we're not with him. But we love him. And our thoughts are with him. And where he is at right now. And so everything here, even the good things, even the hobbies should fade in their enjoyment as we think about Christ. Again, this doesn't mean that we can't have hobbies or enjoy the mountains or the beach. It means that we won't skip church to go to the beach or the mountains. It means we won't. found out last week, was last week Super Bowl Sunday? From Brother Gary that comes Sunday night that sits over here, all of his friends, he said, had canceled their Sunday night services for a football game. Dead men can enjoy football, but not over Christ. Not over Christ. Our hobbies shouldn't keep us from the word and prayer and church and fellowship. So that means we can love things in this world but our heart is somewhere else and the, pleasure, the closer I get to Christ you understand this, I grew up loving the ocean, never got to live near it till now I grew up loving the ocean we were there the other day and I was looking out of the water and I think the closer I grow to grow to Christ even this brings less pleasure than it used to bring because I was thinking of heaven I was thinking of, 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 of Christ. I was, thinking, I was looking at the sunset, thinking of the throne of God, the glory of God. And, and, and all of the stuff I was looking at here that was still nice was less nice than it used to be. That's the Christian life, folks. This world should fade in our desire for it and our love for it. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory when Christ who is a part of our life right no who is our life being a Christian is not like being uh, an American or being a member of a club Uh, it's not like being a citizen it's being a Christian is who we are like our lives ought to be defined by I am a Christian So every decision, every hobby, everything I do is reflected in that I am a Christian. That's my life. Christ is my life. You ever meet those people I've had before? Oh, I want the Lord to come back, but boy, I'd, I'd much rather see my kids grow up first. And then I get to a good old age, and then Christ can come back. That's selfishness. Let me get all that I can get out of this life, then Christ can come. I love my kids. But I love Christ more. If he wants to come today, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to say, Christ, let me live to a nice old age, get all the things out of life that I want, and then you can come and have your No, no, no. He is our life. He defines us. If something is holding you back, saying, I don't want Christ to come back, get that thing taken care of. That stands between you and the Savior. No, Christ is our life. I love my wife, but if Christ must come back today, I'm okay with that. And she'll no longer be my wife. And that's okay. I don't feel robbed. He didn't do me a disservice at not giving me a full lifetime with her. By the way, if one of us dies he didn't do me a disservice in not giving me a full lifetime with her or her with me because Christ is our life. You understand that, right? Tragedy shouldn't break us because Christ is our life. He's not another aspect of our lives. He's not a hobby. We're united to him. So the focus of the Christian life is to seek the heavenly kingdom by setting our affection there, remembering that we are dead to this world but alive to Christ. We have seen the what and the why. Now let's look at the how. We know that if we are saved, we seek that which is above. And the how is that we set our affections there. But how do we do this practically? How do we set our affections on things above in a practical way? Easy. We put to death the things of this world. The things that are displeasing to God, we put those to death to live unto God under righteousness. Go to verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The word mortify means put to death. The word therefore refers back to the previous subject, which is seeking those things which are above. So Paul is saying in order to seek those things which are above, we set our affections there. And we do that in a practical way, by putting to death the sinful things of the world. What are we putting to death? Our members, right? Not our physical members, obviously. He's not saying cut off your arm and cut off your foot and cut off your head. That's not what he's saying. But he's talking about the man of sin within us. That's what we're cutting off. Because the man of sin, I'm not to, to pluck out my eyeballs. But the man of sin within me, he likes pornography. Yes, yes. I'm going to cut out his eyeballs. Yes, yes, right? Yes. Yes, the man of sin within me, he, he, he loves pride. He loves himself. Now, I, I don't do that physically. Some religious teach you've got to hurt your body and damage your body and crawl on your knees up rocky, stony, glassy stairs to please God. That's not what he's talking about. But I need to put to death that inner man's love of himself. I need to make sure he knows that he's nothing without God. Right? Our our, our inner man, the, the man of sin, is who we're putting to death. So, we need to put to death what is earthly in us. What are these members? He gives us a list. Fornication. That's all sexual immorality. Before marriage, outside of marriage, everything. Put that to death. Well, I'm a queer Christian. No, you're not. You're a queer heathen. You're not a Christian. A Christian will put that to death. Well, I am having an affair, but, you know, I still love Jesus. No, you don't. No, no. You don't love Jesus. Because the lost don't love Jesus, and you're lost. Or you'd put that to death well, my girlfriend and I love each other and so we have a loving relationship. We live together, but, but Jesus loves it. We, we love Jesus. No, you don't. No, you'd put that to death. You would put that to death. That's a, the man, the inner man of sin, sexual immorality. Our, our country loves sexual immorality. You want to get people angry with you? You, you? you point out their sin, their immorality, their, their love. That's what abortion is the love of immorality. Number two, uncleanness. This is all other impurity. Inordinate affection. That's unnatural affections. By the way, it's not natural for a man to love a man and a woman to love a woman. It's not natural for a man to try to be a woman or a woman to be a man. That's unnatural affections. You say, well, I I feel it. I was born with these desires. You were born fallen in Adam. That's why you were born a sinner. That's why. Uh, do you guys, know, you guys know the name Ted Bundy, right? Do you guys know why he killed his, his, his killing was different than everybody? Any other killer I've ever studied, his is the, the most different. Uh, it wasn't even sadistic in a sense, right? He wasn't just doing it for fun, or some people they just like to kill, they like to see people suffer. He had urges. You ever studied him, he had urges. And he did, not he, he gave interviews later on. I, I personally think he was demon possessed, but he, he'd be living a normal life. He had this habit of getting rid of, all, throwing away all of his stuff he used to kidnap women with. Not because he was trying to hide it, because he didn't want to do it anymore. And then the urges would come up inside of him. He said, he said, since he was a child, he had these urges. So you could say it was natural. He was born with it doesn't make it right. I asked somebody that one time about him. They said, well, no, it doesn't make it right. I said, exactly. Because we're born sinners. Say, said, because I naturally want to do this, that makes it okay. No. It's in or in affection. It's, it's unnatural affection. Mothers shouldn't want to abandon their children or murder their children. That's unnatural affection. Mothers shouldn't naturally want to. And by the way, fathers, too. Should naturally want to protect women and children, not have them murdered. That's unnatural affection. Evil concupiscence. This is wicked passions. Put those to death. Put wicked passions to death. That means deal with it before they before they come out and act out as sin. Listen, it's not sin, Pastor, until I do it. Really? Because Paul here says to put to death even the wicked passions that you have. Not just the act of sin. You know why it becomes sin? Because we entertain the the wicked passions. We entertain that in our hearts. And so now, later on, it gets its way and acts its way out into our actions. Kill sin before it comes out in action. Kill it immediately at the first sign of a wicked passion. Put it to death. Covetousness, this represents wanting more than God has given, which is idolatry. Wanting something more than God himself. Being unhappy with what God has given us. Put that to death. Boy, I wish I had a put that to death. Boy, I wish was, my life was more like this. Put that to death. We put these to death because God's judgment is coming against these things. Can you believe I'm almost out of time again? That's insane. We're going to verse 17. This is trying to do a three part chapter here. I'll tell you what, let's do one more verse and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up and I'm gonna just finish it next week. I promise to finish it next week. Verse six. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You guys mind if I just keep going? Let's just keep going. Why are we putting these things to death? Because God's wrath is coming against them. That's why. What did John say in First John? Love not the world. Neither things are in the world. Why? Because God wants to ruin our fun? No. Because the love of the Father is not in him if he loves these things. Oh, by the way, this world is passing away. That means all those who love this world will perish with it. So John's saying, don't love the world. Don't perish with the world. Paul is saying, put these things to death, not because God wants to ruin our fun, but because his judgment is coming against the works of unrighteousness. And if we're living in unrighteousness, that shows we're not truly his people, and we will perish with the wicked. Why are we to speak honestly with one another? Because all liars have their part in the lake of fire. Why, why should I not cheat on my spouse? You want to know one reason? Because outside the city are adulterers. That's why. They're not admitted into God's presence. In verse 7, he points out that these were the sins in which they once walked, in which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. They want to walk in these sins, but Christ put that person to death. Speaking of the old nature, of course. Why would you walk and I walk in sins for which Christ suffered? If we love Christ. Of course, it all comes back to the if, doesn't it? If he then be risen with Christ if you're saved. Why would we entertain that which caused the one we love so much pain? Verses 8 and 9. Paul adds to his list of things the Christians shouldn't entertain. But now, ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Anger is one. Wrath, which is the heat of spirit, which leads to anger. It's not just the anger, church. Put away the wrath, that leads to the anger, right? Blasphemy, which I think we all know how to define. Filthy communication, which I think encompasses more than just dirty jokes, but also lying, slander, and gossip. We're going to put that away from ourselves. Did you hear what they did to me? I don't need to hear what they did to you. Can you believe what the pastor did? I don't know what uh, One person I, I knew that handled this the best was uh, the pastor. He's pastoring the church we came from now in Bakersfield. But years ago, 2010, 11, I first went there. There was a different pastor in the church, and there was a faction in the church that didn't like the pastor and wanted him gone. And the, this guy, Pastor Don, he's, he was just kind of a, a assistant there, a song leader. And they come to him and say, can you believe what Pastor Dieter said? He'd take him around the shoulder and say, well, let's go talk to the pastor about it. Let's put that to death. Let's, put the, let's not have a little pow over here in the corner. Let's go talk to the person. Put that to death, church. I don't need to know why you're mad at Carmen. I know This. Bible says you to forgive Carmen and love Carmen. I don't care why you're mad at Tetsuo. I'm probably mad at him too. <laughs> we both need to forgive and love. I was about this morning. I was getting so mad in the shower. I get mad thinking about certain things. People get mad at church and they leave. They go find another church because the the church hurt me and made me mad. So I'm leaving. They did something to me. Has your family ever done something to you that hurt you? Did you leave to go find a new family? The Bible calls the church the family of God. We've got to start dealing with things differently, don't we? It got me all madish, anyways. In verse nine, he mentions lying again, and says that in the light of putting off the old sinful man, we're to cease from lying to one another. I'm saddened and shocked at how easily Christians lie. Good night. Especially the advent of social media and fake news. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm getting into politics again, you have to forgive me, but I told you guys I was Wednesday night, or two Wednesday nights, I think it was last Wednesday night, about that time in Tampa, we went to the restaurant that required the masks. A group of street preachers just so willingly lied about having a heart condition. Listen, you don't want to wear a mask, fine, go to a different restaurant. But don't lie to this person. Oh, we have a heart condition, we can't wear masks. Oh, okay. She trusts us. And then, man, Jesus changed my heart. That's my heart condition. And I, I said, you guys are lying. We just spent eight hours preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling men to repent, and now we're lying? Only one of those men repented and went back and apologized to the lady. He said, I shouldn't have lied to you. He put on a mask. Said, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. Because that's your rules. You don't like it, that's fine. But don't lie. Don't lie. Speak truth. If we lie, the world will never believe us in the gospel. Why should they believe us? Why should they listen to us? We lie anyways. I mentioned on Wednesday, I mean, I've seen countless numbers of people outside abortion clinics lying to girls going in. Saying things that are ridiculously false. And the people know that it's false. False. Uh, there's one in, group, in Baker Show, there's this lady who was always accusing this one company of picking up the aborted babies. And they weren't. And I knew they weren't. I knew the person who did. I mean, I knew the, what the company looked like who did come pick them up. And every day, she'd be out there telling them, you're picking up babies and this, and you're doing this. And the guy would laugh and laugh. He knew what he was picking up. He knew she's lying or she's wrong. And so in his mind, his first thought's going to be, what else? is she probably wrong about this whole abortion thing. Because after all, she's wrong about this. Make sure you know what you're saying when you say it. Make sure it's true. That's all I'm saying. This is such a big problem in politics. Politics in America is built on the two-party system, so it's built on the our side versus their side. And so Christians find a great freedom to lie to help their side. Christian, we're not bound to the Republican or Democratic parties. We're bound to Jesus Christ. We're bound to the law of God and we're bound to be honest with one another. I remember 2016 that was the, the Clinton Trump election. All of my friends were sharing this supposed news article in the Iowa something Des Moines Register There's a quote from Hillary Clinton saying that when she takes office, she's gonna ban all guns. All my friends are sharing, they're sharing this. So I spent about 25 minutes just doing a little deep, this is the age of Google, you know, we can find things out really easily. I found out that, that that was a fake picture. There's no such article from that newspaper. So I began to confront some of my friends on it. You should take that down, that's not true. Well, she's evil anyway, so it's okay. No, it's not. You want to oppose her? Fine, I oppose her too. But speak the truth. Don't lie. We had some friends. What was that? Uh, maybe 2014. We met at an evangelism conference, and they friend us on Facebook, and they began beginning posting political stuff that just it wasn't true. I mean, I, I was we we were on the same side politically, but. Some are, this, 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 this stuff they're posting isn't true. So we, uh, I confronted them on it. Within 10 minutes, we were unfriended. It didn't matter if it was true. Listen, Christian, we Christ is our life. We are Christians all the time in the voting booth, in the restaurant, in our homes, at work, on the streets. We should be the most honest people. People should never question what we're telling them. They should never have to question our character by what we said or not said. Put away lying. Put away evil communication. That's the old nature. Well, what if we have to lie? Sometimes you have to lie. I mean, Cory Tenenberg knew where the where the Jews were when she said I don't know what you're talking about maybe she was lying and maybe she was and maybe there is times for that but not at our women preference not at our women preference let the Holy Spirit guide us in that Yes, sir. yes sir. but be honest with one another be honest even the world used to get this right you ever watch the Eddie Griffith show what do you all hear on there all the time. A man's word is his bond. A man's only as good as... Even the world understood that. If we're not honest, we're nothing. Who's going to listen to us preach to them repentance and faith when they know us as liars? Don't lie. Don't lie with one another. Don't lie with God. He knows. Don't lie with the... Outside. Say, well, if I tell my bosses I get fired, then get fired. Christ is sovereign. Maybe he won't get fired. Maybe he has another job for you. But either way, he doesn't want you to lie. And most often, Christians lie as a way of self-preservation. Well, God wants me to lie, otherwise my wife would be upset if she knew that. No, then let her be upset. Well, I need a job to support my family, and so I have to lie because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Then own up to it, that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Be honest and trust God, but don't lie. We have, to, this is a basic thing. I was taught at a young age, don't lie. But it's so pervasive in our world today. Let me get off of something else. Actually, let me say lying for a minute. In Proverbs, when God gave a list of the seven things he hates, lying is on the list twice. In a list of seven, that's pretty, pretty common. We're told that all liars are other part of the of fire. And by the way, our Lord is crucified by lying false witnesses. That's why he was crucified. They brought lying false witnesses against him. Let's not live in the lies that crucified the Lord. Proverbs 12:22 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Ephesians 4:25 where we putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. We're part of each other. When we lie, we treat each other like strangers. Go on, verse 10. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we're not what we once were. We are renewed in the knowledge of Christ. So he gives the negative first. If we're to pursue Christ, here are the negative things we need to put to death. Now, verse 12, he's going to give us some positive things that we can put on. Verse 2 Christ, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. We put off sins because we've been forgiven of them. And we put on certain things that we've received from Christ. Put on mercy because we've received mercy. Put on kindness because Christ has been eternally kind to us. Put on humility of mind because Christ humbled himself. By the way, if the God who deserves glory humbled himself to be a servant, you and I who are mere servants should not think high-mindedly of ourselves. I appreciate all that Brother Earl does around here. But there's no job the pastor shouldn't be, shouldn't have to do. I've been to churches where I had a pastor who was sweeping the front porch, I got to church, and he's mad. He goes, the pastor shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff on a Sunday. He thought too high mindedly of himself. Listen, I appreciate all that help out and do stuff around here. But if I need to clean toilets, I need to clean toilets. I'm not, I'm not the CEO of the company. I'm not the high and mighty. I'm a servant like you. I'm a member like you, part of the body of Christ like you. We need to humble ourselves. Stop lifting. If they knew what, who they were dealing with, a sinner—that's who they're dealing with. That's why we get. That's why. We, that's why division starts in the church. Because we—how dare they? Do they know how long I've been here? Do they know who they're talking to? That's where it all starts. Pride. Put that to death and put on humility of mind. You know, a person who thinks low of themselves can never be offended. Think about that. Put on meekness because Christ was meek on our behalf. You know what meekness is? It's power under control. You could get them back, but you're not going to. That's what Christ did for us. Man, he could have, he said himself, I can call more than 12 legions of angels. But he submitted himself to the will of the Father for us, and he was meek on our behalf. So be meek. I could destroy them. Yeah, you probably could. Don't do it. Demonstrate Christ's likeness. And be long-suffering as Christ has been long-suffering towards you. Well, they did the same thing to me over and over again. How many times did you commit the same sin to God? And he forgave you over and over and over again. I don't have patience for that person because I don't like them very much. I'm sure, Christ. I'm sure God didn't like you very much. You look at you and go. What a great person! I'm going to choose Reuben to be saved. He is such an example of godliness and right. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. Look, at verse fourteen, and we'll come back to verse thirteen. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Verse fourteen says to put on love, which completes the outfit of the Christian. As Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13, you can do all the other things, but if love is not the root of what you're doing, it's for nothing. Even if you give your body to be burned, even if you give yourself as a martyr and you have not love, he said it profits you nothing. Love is the, the, the covering of everything for the Christian verse 13 forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye Well, I could spend an hour here I'm not going to I promise I think we'll be out of here by 1 45 at the latest forbearing one another that means they made me mad and offended me so I'm going to go find a new church no I'm going to forbear with them. I'm going to forgive them. Maybe they didn't know they offended me. What did Jesus pray on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe you and I need to pray that once in a while. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. There's a lot of places in the Bible where we're told to forgive other Christians. Here it says, if any man have a quarrel against any. I'm kind of taking that to mean anybody. I don't care if they're a Christian or not. I don't care if they've sought your forgiveness or not. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. How did Christ forgive me? Freely. Doesn't bring it up again. Doesn't ask me to do anything. To earn it. Where to forgive one another, church? You have family members you're fighting with? Forgive them. Coworkers? Forgive them. Spouses? Forgive them. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I'm not just saying this, I'm the pastor. At my last church, I was there for 12, 12 years at, at one time, 18 years total. I got so mad at people coming and going. They get mad, they leave, go find another church. What about the Bible, people? I wouldn't say when you get mad at someone, just pick up your ball and go play at a different playground. Forgive. We're a family. Families don't want, I don't get mad at my wife and walk out on her. She doesn't get mad at me and walk out on me. That's not how families work. We need to work it out. We need to think biblically when we're upset. I don't like the pastor. I'm leaving. Several have done that since I came here. That's okay. I like me. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say it. Those people are not thinking biblically. They're not. We're to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. Just as freely as that. Not a, Debbie, I forgive you. And she does it again. This is just like you, Debbie. Every time you... No, no. Once I forgive, I'm not allowed to bring it up again. Nor is she, because God doesn't. Let me go on, pray. Stay here for an hour. We don't pursue Christ in grudge holding, we pursue Christ in offering forgiveness. I'll say that. We pursue Christ in offering redemption from wrongdoing. That's pursuing Christ. Verse fifteen and sixteen. I'm almost to the end. I promise. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We pursue Christ by letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. We pursue Christ by being thankful. We pursue Christ by singing. I'm going to close on verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word, I heard that Dale. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Yes. Do you want to focus your Christian life, brother and sister? Then ask yourself in everything you do, is Christ glorified in this? If He's not, don't do it. So someone makes you mad and you, I'm going to leave and find another church. Is Christ glorified in that? Or is he glorified in forgiveness and reconciliation? Is Christ glorified in pride and wicked passions and unnatural desires? No, they put those to death. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all and I'm, by the way, I just want to confess to you guys I'm not perfect on this. My wife will hold interviews after church to let you know I'm not perfectly obedient to this. I'm trying, I'm learning, I'm growing. I need to ask myself, in word or deed, whatever I do to give thanks to the God, or do all in the, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I've not arrived. But church, we need to do this. We need to master We're not going to pursue Christ unless we're living for the glory of Christ. Can I say this? Can I do this? Can I think this in the name of Jesus? If you can't, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't think it. Put it to death. You can't watch porn in Jesus' name. You can't commit adultery to the glory of God. You can't uh, lie to somebody to the glory of God. You can't neglect your family to the glory of God. You can't give the silent treatment to someone in church to the glory of God. By the way, you can't skip church and go to the beach for the glory of God. Or watch a football game for the glory of God. You can't skip your Bible reading and preach. I I, I don't have time to read my my Bible and pray, but I I have this hobby over here. You can't do that to the glory of God. When you watch TV, can I watch this to the glory of God? Can I talk about this to the glory of God? If not, don't talk about it. Don't watch it. Turn it off. You can't hold a grudge in Jesus' name. You can't gossip in Jesus' name. You can't get drunk in Jesus' name. I can go on, but I'll stop there. You know what I'm trying to say. To sum this up, the focus of the Christian life is to seek the kingdom where Christ sits today and reigns. To love him as the supreme treasure of our lives. That's the focus of the Christian life. We accomplish this practically by putting to death the works of this world not through outward religion, but through the power of our inward union with Christ. And we put on the works of Christ's kingdom in that same power. Let verse 17 be your motto. Run everything you do or say by that test. Can I do this in the name of Jesus and give thanks to God the Father while I'm doing it? Living for the glory of Christ as the supreme treasure of our lives, church, that is, is the sum and focus of the Christian life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for our time together and the word. and I appreciate the patience of the people. There's probably a lot that I wanted to say that I didn't say, but help us to love you supremely, Lord. To set our affection upon you. That where you sit is what we seek after. We seek your throne. We seek your face, your presence. Help us to put to death those things that belong to this world. And to put on those things that belong to your heavenly kingdom. Whatever we do in word or deed, may we do all to the glory of God. May we put off lying, grudge-holding, unforgiveness. Lord, we're a family. Help us to think like family, to act like family. When one rejoices, may we all rejoice. When one hurts, may we all hurt. When wrongs are done, may they be forgiven. I love these people, Lord. I love our church here. But I I want us to be in the image of Christ. Otherwise, it's pointless what we're doing. Mold us, Lord. Conform us to the image of your son so that our Christian lives are focused on one thing, loving Christ and seeking after him. And may this be done, not through outward religion. We don't want more obedience by conformity. We want obedience through the inner man, through regeneration, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, make us better Christians than we have been. To the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand, Brother Rose, and come lead us in the doxology.